Morning, friends. Morning. Hey, a special welcome to uh, our Bethel campus is with us live right now. You guys are streaming with us, so glad you're all together in one community. Yeah, they're clapping too, for sure. Um, and uh, another thing, someone asked me, I thought, I don't think I've ever shared this information, but somebody was asking me like, hey, how do we know what songs we sing uh, when we're doing the worship service? Or like, what's that called? Um, I don't know if you know this, but on our app, um, there's actually all our songs. We put our whole set list there, and you can, so you can listen to them, and you can learn them, and the things that are coming up. Uh, it's under, under uh, media and radio. So side information, both campuses, it's something if you're wanting to just learn the songs, or you want to keep singing the songs, and um, just be a part of that. That's a, a cool little thing for you. Um, so um, when I was um, a young boy, um, I really thought I could run super fast. I mean, like, when I say super fast, like, I thought I was maybe one of the fastest people in the state. Um, this is real. This is a real story. And I had good reason to believe this because I won a race. Um, I was in elementary school, and um, there was a boy named Ben, and he was, like, the fastest kid. And um, um, people thought it'd be a really great idea if we raced. And I was like, you know, I'm in for a good old competition. I could probably blow him up. I'll take him out. I don't want to embarrass him or anything. So, you know, um, gave him a week to prepare. And this was going to be a Friday recess race. And um, I don't really remember it that well, but it was probably like 85 degrees. We had a five-mile tailwind blowing at us. And uh, a lot of people were there. Um, He wore flip-flops to school that day. And um, I said... I, I feel like I'm cheating a little bit. Um, do you want to do this? He was like, yeah, I'm going to smoke you. And I was like, no, you don't understand. I'm like, fast. So um, we raced. And when it started, we got going, and his flip-flop broke, and it made him fall. And I won the race. Yeah. Why do you guys know? Everyone's like, oh, I didn't do nothing. That was his own fault. And so I made a construction paper medal. I came home. I told my mom. I was like, Mom, I'm the fastest kid in school. I beat Ben. I mean, like, I didn't even just beat him. I blew him out the water. I turned around and waited for him to come across the finish line. I was like, Pew. And then I thought, I might be the fastest person in the state. And then I was like, I'm going to go to the Olympics. And then I was like, maybe I should start running more. Like, this was a whole gig in my life. And um, the other thing was is, um, I lived on a street called Morales, and it was right at the end of like a major, a major street, and so it was like at the dead end, so a lot of cars would come all the way down the end, and they'd go fast at one of those streets. It was like a main street, and they'd go fast all the time. My mom was always worried because we were out front, you know, playing around and running, <laughs> so what I do, I was fast. Um, so the day after I won the race, I don't know what the timing was with this, but my mom um, had ordered a sign and hung the sign up. Um, outside of our house. And I came home and I was like still pumped because I'm like, dude, I'm so fast. I'm like a race runner. I was like, I'll race anybody. And then this was the sign that she put up. <laughs> Some of you are reading this like I was. <laughs> I am not slow. I walked in, mom, why would you put that sign out there? I'm like the fastest kid in our school. And you put a sign out there that said, slow, <laughs> kids are playing around. And she was like, what? What are you talking about? So she walked me out there and she's like, no, it says slow, children at play. And I was like, there is no comma there. There's just, it's like you're saying there's a kid who's not very fast that lives at this house. Like, so kind of think it's interesting. Isn't it crazy, especially when it comes to the scriptures or just a whole lot of things in life? that we could be reading the exact same things and have two completely different understandings of what it means, 
right? Uh, it's just like this. You've heard maybe this story before. There's two shoe salesmen, and they go to this remote village, and they discover no one there wears shoes. So one guy gets on the phone, and he calls the corporate and says, we're in trouble. This is going to be a disaster. No one wears shoes. The other guy gets on the phone with corporate and says, this is the best opportunity we have had ever. No one wears shoes, right? Same scenario, two completely different things. Many of you have this, dogs. You love a dog. You clean up after a dog. You feed the dog. You pet the dog. And the dog looks at you and says, you must be a god, right? And you're like, yeah, okay. Cats. <laughs> you love a cat. You pet a cat. You clean up after a cat. You feed the cat. And the cat goes, I must be a god, right? <laughs> it is. Same thing happens. Two completely different things are going on. If um, before you get any emails about the cats, you can email jerry at ingate.org. He's our guy. He's actually at the Bethel camp, so it's going to be great. <laughs> uh, so we're, we're having this series called From uh, Heaven to Earth. And we've talked about, and we're going to continue to talk today, about why did God come from heaven to earth, right? And we're, we're coming up on Holy Week in a week, and then we're going to go into the resurrection, and that's kind of like where the explanation mark's going to go. But was there something else we need to learn? And we've been slowly unpacking, and we want to understand that God came in the form of Jesus as the best representation of who God is, what he cares about, to communicate and to demonstrate to us about who God truly is. And often we can find ourselves in really uncomfortable or unfortunate circumstances or spaces because we take who God is or our view of God through people when really we should just be looking at what Jesus says about something or said to people and then what he did, what were his actions and what did he talk about and that's really who God is, that's what he's about. And so today I want to really quickly um, go over um, the other thing that we see from Jesus, if you were to read through any of the Gospels, you would see this over and over again, that Jesus cared about people. This is like abnormal, caring about people. Um, this is something that's definitely taught. Um, people, for generations and generations, and especially the time that Jesus showed up, um, was all about uh, serve me. I need to raise higher on the, on the rung. Um, I'm, I become more of like a deity. Um, the more people serving me, the more I care about myself. It was all a very self-serviced, you serve me type of level. And Jesus came and he dumped that up down, upside down on his head and he does this all throughout the scriptures in the New Testament. And what we see is that Jesus started to elevate people showing us that that's what God cares about. So specifically, he did this through a couple different ways. So here's the first way that I want you to see, and there's then just a ton of stories that go through this. Jesus elevated the dignity of individuals first through his teachings. So these are the things that he would be saying. So he elevates the dignity of individuals through his teaching. And you have lots of stories. The Good Samaritan, right, where he elevates the dignity of a Samaritan, which was like a shunned outcast, lower in the caste system, even like a dirty people, to that people group, especially when the scriptures and the story was talked and written about, and this is an example, but said that this Samaritan was elevated as someone who was important, that could do something, were something, that could do good. And then even above the priests and the Levites at the time, you have the trilogy of the lost things, elevating that people are so important that 
that, that God would leave the 99, the group of people that are already here, to get the one that's straight off, the one that's not here, the one that doesn't feel like they belong, the one on the outside and says, that I'm going to elevate that type of person that feels like I can't, I'm not good enough, I'm not allowed in. The, the trilogy of the lost things when it comes to um, the prodigal son, elevating the second born, right? It was all about the firstborn and the blessings that were given and the inheritance that would take place, but elevates then the second son and the son who goes off and does things that you wish and children, the child would never do, the things you wouldn't dream of, but elevates that, that boy and welcomes him back into the cloth and, and welcomes him back into the family and, and amongst of a celebration. The truly lost things, by just speaking and giving a story about a woman who was tearing her house apart for a coin that had been lost. And the value of pausing and stopping and doing whatever it takes to find what is so valuable and important to God. You see it through the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus talks about blessed is the poor, elevating the people who are poor. And the poor people would say, no, 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 I'm like, I'm being punished by God because I'm poor. Say, no, 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 you're a blessed people. Blessed are those who mourn. Well, no, I've lost something. I must have done something wrong in my life. Now I'm mourning because I've lost a family member or this or that, and this is because you've punished me, God. And Jesus is saying, that is not who God is. And we talked about this in some parables recently. The uh, widow's might. This is a fun story. Maybe if you grew up in church, you've heard this one. A lot of things, just a little precious story of this old woman who walks into this room where there's middle class and upper middle class, and they're giving their tithes, and they're, they're being um, generous, as they would think, and they're dropping it into this bucket, and this little old lady, it gives a scene, walks up and drops his mites. It doesn't even make a sound in the bucket, right? And Jesus goes, whoa. Like, it would just be fun to look through the New Testament and say, like, what blows Jesus' mind? Like, what's he astonished about? Well, this knocked him back. It's like, whoa, now there is a generous person. And they're like, no, she wasn't. I mean, she didn't even, you couldn't even hear it hit the bucket. It's like, no, 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 she gave everything that she had. And so he elevated the dignity of this woman and her generosity. Jesus elevates people who have never been elevated. God wants to elevate people who you wouldn't imagine would ever be elevated by society. That he loves each and every single one of us. We see this too through his interactions. Jesus elevated the dignity of individuals through his interactions with people. So not only is he speaking it and teaching it, now we actually see him doing things. Same type of story. We have the Samaritan woman or the woman at the well, you might be more familiar with. That he goes and he speaks with her and he hangs out with her and he speaks new identity into her and calls things out of her. And the disciples had left him in a, a town that they already felt like they shouldn't even be in um, because it wasn't like PC, it wasn't kosher to be around that space. And so they had gone to go get some food. They came back and they were shocked that Jesus was having a conversation with this woman. But he was elevating her through his interactions with her saying that you do have a purpose, that I do care for you, I do love you, and then called things out of her. The Roman centurion and his servant. This is like somebody everybody hated. It was part of the Roman Empire, right? So he elevates the centurion. Not only that, he elevates his servant because this Roman centurion comes to Jesus and says, hey, would you please heal my servant? And Jesus looked at him and said, I've never seen faith like this before. I've never seen faith so grand like this before that you believe that I don't even need to come there, but through faith you believe that I could heal your servant. And he elevated a servant, 
someone that was serving someone that was part of this Roman government. He elevated people like Zacchaeus, the wee little man that was in a tree that had to come down, and Matthew, both tax collectors, said, Matthew, when you're done doing stuff at your table, let's go to your house, risking his reputation to go and be with what people saw as sinners. You ever been there? Hanging out with people? They'd be like, you're hanging out with those people? You're like eating a meal with those people, right? Or they're scary looking people, whatever it would be. Risking his reputation to go and hang out. And he says, not only am I going to go to your house and break bread with you, but you invite all your friends. Like you, you get to pick who's coming. Elevating children all throughout the New Testament and in scriptures and in the gospel message, we see how he elevates children who were not elevated. That many people would wait three or more years before they even named their child. Unsure if they would live or if they even wanted to keep them and there was going to be purpose for them, right? And, and you see uh, many stories through the gospels where children would literally run to Jesus just to touch him or to hug him or to sit with him or sing to him and with him. And they'd be like, no, 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 no kids, no kids, no kids. And Jesus would be like, no, no, no. Let's stop with all the other nonsense. The kids are what's up. I'm going to hang out with them. And then uses children as an example of how our faith should be, what our faith should look like by elevating children. Maybe one of the most significant things he's ever elevated was a mother-in-law. <laughs> he healed Peter's mother-in-law. And I'm going to move on because my mother-in-law might be watching this. It was awesome. It's good. It's Jesus. Um, the physically sick, he elevated the physically, the physically sick. He touched them with his interactions, the way he interacted with them. And this is where people, they didn't know a lot about why God did what he did. And so they had this bad theology of this was punishment for things in the past that they had done, you know, like a karma situation. Um, but they knew that you became unclean or you were, un, uh, you were unholy. And so Jesus was like breaking all these barriers by coming in and touching and caring for and healing sick, the mentally sick, speaking into them having conversations, calling things out of them, even elevating through his interactions with a convict while he hung on a cross, explaining to him that he too would be with him in paradise later that day. We see Jesus had meals and conversations even with Pharisees. And uh, he was having such one conversation and meal with a Pharisee and they were outside and um, while they're eating, this woman sneaks around the corner and kind of reaches down underneath the stool and begins to wash Jesus' feet with her hair and perfume. And the story picks up right here with this Pharisee who's observing this. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, now this is just a warning. If you're around Jesus, don't think anything. He knows what you're thinking. He didn't even say this out loud. He just thought it. You see it all throughout the Bible. It's scary. <laughs> he said to himself, if this man were a prophet... He would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner, that he's getting like the sinner cooties all over him, and this is no good. But he's also thinking, because he's kind of interviewing Jesus at the same time, is he a prophet or not? So he's kind of checking off the list. Well, not a prophet. He's letting a sinner touch him, and he's breaking the rules, so he's not a prophet. So then Jesus pops in and says, hey, I have something to tell you. It says, tell me, teacher, which is also scary because he never brought this conversation up. Jesus just goes into a crazy story. Then says, let me just tell you this made-up story. He said, there was two men who had a great debt. One had a, a larger debt. One had a, a, a lesser debt. And the debt collector came to them 
and said, your debts have been forgiven, both of you, 100%. Which one would be more grateful? And so the Pharisee kind of answered, like, well, that's kind of a trick question. I know you're going to get me, but uh, I mean the one that had a greater debt that was forgiven. And he said, well, yeah, yeah, exactly. You don't even see the own sin in yourself to be grateful for what you have and what you've been given. Essentially what he's saying to him is saying, you can learn a thing or two from this sinful woman. He elevated people. Jesus elevated the dignity of individuals through his death. It says, uh, Paul writes in Romans, he says, very rarely will anyone die for a, per- for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. Like this just doesn't happen. You're not gonna give your life for this person. But God demonstrates his own love for us, like we us, me, you, us, them, us, while we, all of us, were and are still sinners, Christ died for us. The explanation mark in this whole thing is that Jesus gave himself for us, that Jesus made his way through the cross to make his way to you. Jesus made his way through the cross to make his way to me and to you. There's a, a question that you could like really just, you could sit in your entire life. Uh, you could wrestle to the ground and it's this. What does God think about when he thinks about me? If you just were to ponder that this week, what does God think about when he thinks about me? And unfortunately, I think there's a really common response. The response typically is something like this. I believe God's disappointed in me. I believe God's disappointed in me. And there's a lot of people who have that response that maybe are here or are not here because when your response is, I believe that God is disappointed in me, you tend to drift away and stay away. You drift away from a faith community because you feel like God's disappointed in you and therefore you feel like everyone else is going to be disappointed in you and should be disappointed in you, that you aren't welcome, that you're being punished, that you're not allowed in. There's a lot of people um, that aren't in either of these rooms today because they feel like God's disappointed in them or they've been hurt by someone because their view of God is through the lens of you or a fellow you who's a follower of Jesus and their lens of who God is isn't through Jesus. So they have drifted away or stay away. They are anti-church, de-church, unchurched, far from God because they feel like God is disappointed in them or they're disappointed in God because they're looking through the lens that is incorrect. So what I want you to hear today, maybe if that's you today, or maybe you can share this with someone else if that's them today. May God just whisper in their ear, you are my son. You are my daughter. I am not disappointed in you. I am not your punisher. I am your rescuer. And that's done through the cross. So why did Jesus come from heaven to earth? Why did God come from heaven to earth? It's because God is on a rescue mission and Jesus is his rescuer. And you don't rescue people that you're disappointed in, frustrated with, angry at, and then suddenly be like, all right, I've rescued you. Now punishing you. Like, it's on. It just doesn't happen. Now, some of us, and some people, you know, feel disqualified because of their past. 
right? I don't even know if I get to be a part of this whole thing and have the, my dignity elevated. Like, I know he teaches it and he says it, but I still just feel disqualified. Now, we need to be careful with this because essentially what we're saying is we're saying to God, God, I don't think Jesus is really enough. I have done too much or too much has happened in my life or too many things that I've identified, I feel like that, that I, I can't break through that wall. And essentially, you start to feel too small for the gospel. You feel like too insignificant for it to wash over you. And what I want to tell you is that you're not too small for the gospel. In fact, the gospel is too big just to stay with you. This is where most of us actually get in trouble. Even most of us that are in the room today, right? That we go, all right, we've got the gospel, but we forget the understanding of the gospel is too big to stay with just us. And we get in all kinds of toils and frustrating moments when in reality, Christians, followers of Jesus, this faith community at the Bethel campus and here at this Benicia campus should be the most non-discriminatory people in the world because that's what Jesus is teaching us. That's what Jesus is telling us. That's what he's showing us. And if Jesus was right, everybody is a somebody, a somebody who God loves and a somebody who Jesus died for. Everybody's a somebody, a somebody who God loves and for whom Jesus died for. So what do we do with that? When we start getting this knowledge of why God came from heaven to earth, what do we do with it? What's our response? It's to share it. It should be the outflow of who we are. And so we have an opportunity to share it coming up very quickly. It's called Easter. <laughs> um, and Easter is a wonderful opportunity to invite people. So that's what I want to talk to you about for just this really quick moment is that you have two weeks. Rather than waiting until you own a week and be like, oh yeah, you should invite someone to come. I want you to begin to pray to God or ask God, who is one person that I could invite with me to an Easter service? Because it's that important. And you'll be surprised, most people will actually take you up on their invitations. Christmas and Easter are like more common. And there's a lot of people who just come on Christmas or Easter. We call them Christers. That's like the name for them. <laughs> Inside terminology. Right? You're laughing because one of you was one of them for a cool minute. <laughs> now I know what they were saying about me. No. So, who's your one person? So here's the deal. Here's what Easter services are. This is your information. We have them at two different campuses. There's a Saturday night at the Benicia location at 5 Sunday. You can see the service times. Then we have one at the San Francisco Bethel campus at 11 so here's the deal. Here's the map of um, the two locations that we have. So if you know someone that's closer to one campus, here's what you do. When you're praying about, thinking about, trying to figure out and being like, oh, they kind of live far away. I don't know if they drive over here to Benicia, but they're closer to the Bethel campus. Then what you want to do is invite them and say, would you come to Easter with me? I will meet you at the Bethel campus and drive from there to there for the 11 o'clock service, right? The opposite then takes place, right? If you're at the Bethel campus, you know someone who's close to the Benicia campus, say, I'll go meet you there at the five o'clock Saturday. The key is, is don't take this, which you're gonna get in just a little bit, and just hand it to someone and be like, hey, here's Easter information, just do what you're gonna do with it. <laughs> don't stick it in somebody's mailbox. 
Don't stick it on the door. They will hate you on their camera because they're watching you. <laughs> you will be judged, right? This is, a, this is a tool for you to take a Sharpie out and circle a time. Be like, hey, which service? I would love for you to come with me to this service. And I'm going to tell you what. We're going to take care of them. We're going to take care of your friends. And we're going to share who Jesus is and the love and the grace and the mercy. And we're going to show them who God is through the lens of Jesus and his love. So you're going to get these on your way out today as you leave this place. You have two weeks to think about, to pray about. You can take a couple. You can take one. And if you're not going to do that, if you already know you're not going to do that, right, would you come to the Saturday night service? (laughs) Make room for all the people who are going to bring all their friends there because it's the best time that works for them. So I want to do something special actually right now because we're all together really as one faith community but two different campuses right now in the Bay. Um, I want to sing together and worship the God that we all serve in our different places as he allows us to move the kingdom forward and to reach people who the gospel is so big for and so much for. Um, So I'm going to ask first with the Bethel campus, would you please stand up with us? I'm going to ask now the Benicia campus, would you please stand together? And Jesse's going to lead us in worship as one united group of people as we prepare to dream about, think about who we can connect with and serve and love just through an invitation. And why wouldn't we? Would you pray with me? God, thank you for coming from heaven to earth to demonstrate what you care about, who you love, and how much you love through your actions, through your words. God, would you give us courage? Would you just give us clarity? Give us a name? Give us a person? that we could invite into this. It's too good not to. God, thank you for changing everything. We love you and praise you in your name. Amen.